Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. Hey, my name is Jeff Martin. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer. And if you've never been with us before or or this is your first time, we'd love for you to leave a comment down on the side. Um, Say hi. Tell us where you're tuning in from, whether that's Johnson City or, or somewhere else across um, the country or even, even the globe. We just want to know that you're here with us this morning. Um, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Job chapter 1, um, which sounds a little dark, but we're not here to talk about darkness. We're here to talk about hope and light and Jesus' resurrection. So um, eventually we're going to go from Job to John chapter 20. So if you want to get a jump start on those texts, Job then John chapter 20. But hey, let me pray for us, then we're going to get started. God, thank you for just rallying your people um, today to look towards the cross that we remembered on Friday, but then to look today to the empty tomb, to think about what it means that Jesus has risen. And God, we ask that you would let that sink in for us as we're in the midst of this world pandemic. Um, God, that you provide hope in a new and fresh way and that we would leave this morning just pulled closer to you. Um, that would be evident that we have spent time with Jesus this morning. God, it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, in the movie Forrest Gump, um, Forrest is drafted to fight in Vietnam and he meets his best friend Bubba. Bubba is an aspiring shrimp boat captain, and as they go to war, they're led by this guy named Lieutenant Dan. Well, eventually, their, their platoon gets ambushed, and Bubba gets shot in the chest. He doesn't make it. Lieutenant Dan gets blown up, and as he's laying there, um, he eventually loses both legs. He's just kind of thinking about his destiny, and he, he's wondering, am I going to follow this lineage of, of great military leaders from my family where we die in the, in the field? But to his surprise, um, Forrest runs in and rescues him, kind of against his will. Well, after Vietnam, uh, Forrest becomes incredible at ping pong. He accidentally causes Watergate and uh, eventually gets all these sponsorships. And with $25,000 in sponsorships, he buys a shrimp boat like his buddy Bubba always wanted. And then in this strange turn of events, uh, Lieutenant Dan comes to work for him. But they're just not successful. They are not good shrimpers. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but they're not good at at shrimp boating. Um, And so Hurricane Carmen moves in, and it's going bad. And so up on the mast, missing both legs, Lieutenant Dan just is challenging God. He's like, where is this God of yours? And and he's like, show up and and sink the ship. And Forrest, meanwhile, is below, just running around like crazy, trying to save something. And and eventually the the hurricane passes and all these ships are destroyed, but their ship stands and they become successful, right? And, uh, And I can't help but to look at that moment where the storm is happening and Lieutenant Dan is is questioning where is God. Uh, Think back to the first Easter. You have these these people who are following Jesus and their world is completely turned upside down. I mean, they lose everything and for all their dreams, dreams they had just a few days ago, dreams of greatness, now they don't even know what tomorrow's going to hold. 
right? Their world is shaken and, and, and they show up to the tomb and, and at first they look in and Jesus is missing. Well, maybe you can identify with that today. Maybe you're personally going through something where you're saying, God, where are you in this? Or maybe you've got close friends or family that are, that are in that, that storm and, and they're trying to find Jesus in the midst of that. And we say he's risen, we say that he's risen indeed, but Jesus, where are you? And that's why I wanna start in Job, but I wanna to get to John chapter 20. So if you've got your Bibles, let's start in Job chapter one. I'm gonna read for us uh, verses one through three. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. You could say that Job was living the dream, right? And, and to an extent, he, he's kind of a picture of what our society has been feeling for the last few years or this last season. I mean, just very recently, it's like stock markets doing great. Unemployment's dropped at a historical low. Spring is right around the corner. Vacations are on the horizon. And it feels like things are going well. And that was Job's life. Things are going well, but, but things are about to take a turn. And, and I feel like in our society, we've recently taken that turn. So in the verses to follow, we get a behind the scenes look at something Job can't see. You see Satan, who's known as the accuser, shows up and, and he shows up to God and he's basically going to enter into a chess match. Now this is an unfair chess match. God's all powerful. He's all knowing. He's all present. Satan is none of those things. So basically Satan's just a pawn in God's hand, whether he realizes it or not, but he has an accusation. And before he can bring this accusation forward, God knows it, he's all knowing. And so he offers up Job. He's like, why don't you test Job? Now what's the accusation? The accusation is simply this. Satan wants to accuse humanity by saying, we don't really love God for God. We just love God for the stuff he can give us. In other words, he, his accusation is that there's no such thing as genuine love. We don't love um, the creator. We just love the created things that he allows us to have access to. And, and so is that true? Is there such thing as genuine love? And so God says, hey, why don't you test that out on my best guy? Um, because if my best guy falls, we know everyone else would fall too. So he challenges or he allows Job to, to be challenged by this, by this accusation. And so the tension that we begin to wrestle with is we know it's easy to love and to follow God when, when things are great, but how will we respond when everything good is stripped away? How will we respond when everything's stripped away? Will we still love and follow God for God? Or will that love shift because we no longer have the gifts from the giver? Right? And so at this point, um, everything changes for Job. The forces of heaven and earth turn against him. And so we see this man who's completely surrounded by disaster. He loses everything and he is at his end. And look at chapter two real quick. 
chapter two, starting in verse nine, and this is how bad it is. It says, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. She's like, just take yourself out of the world. Like, like stuff has gone bad for you and you just should get away, right? And, but he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God? And shall we not receive the bad? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. All right, and, and so what's about to happen now is there's a shift, right? Job is sitting down, he's completely alone, surrounded by disaster, and, and his friends show up, and they just sit with him. They're just like, we're just gonna hang out with you. We don't have the wisdom to give to you right now. We can see you're hurting. We just wanna be present. That's a great lesson for us to learn, All right? But chapter three, um, things change, right? Chapters three through 37, there's a really, really, really long dialogue between Job and these three friends. Eventually, his friends speak up. And it's redundant. You're like, I feel like I just read this the last chapter. Um, and so why is the book of Job so long? It feels like we could get this done in eight chapters instead of 42. And well, what we see here is that the book of Job, the length is by divine design. It cues us in to the reality that sometimes there's not a quick fix for suffering. Um, sometimes it's long and, and we've got to push through, all right? So I think that that length kind of lets us in on that secret that suffering's not always quick. Sometimes you're, you got to kind of dig your heels in and be ready for the long haul, right? But what's interesting is chapter two is, is like the literary style is prose, but in chapter three, it shifts to poetry and that's really unique. And, and the reason why it shifts to poetry is because when you're in the storm of life, when things are going bad, when everything's stripped away, it requires an emotional power and expressiveness that just our everyday language can't capture. And so, so it turns to poetry because we're not just reading a story, we're getting a look at, at a man's heart, all right? And so chapters three through 37, long and redundant. And then um, what we see in that is that Job, at, at the beginning of this, he's looking for vindication. Vindication, he's like, God, tell them I didn't do anything wrong, all right? Because his friends are moralist. They're like, okay, if you do good, you get blessed. If you do bad, you get cursed. Job looks like you're cursed, so you must have done something bad, so what'd you do? And he's like, I didn't do anything. Like, there's nothing that I did wrong. And, and so, but because of their, their understanding of morals and like their cause and effect, they're like, you surely have done something. So in all of this, he's just pleading for vindication. God, tell my friends I didn't do anything wrong, all right? But eventually that shifts. He no longer wants vindication, he wants explanation. He demands an audience with God. He's like, God, I want you to tell me what in the world is happening. God, I have some big why questions. Why is this happening? Why would you let an innocent man suffer? And so he demands an audience with God. And so that brings us to chapter 38. Um, if you wanna flip over there real quick, you can do that, or you can just, just listen to these words. Eventually God shows up in a storm in response to Job, and, and this is, what we read. Chapter 38, verses one through seven, it says, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know or who stretched out the line upon it? 
on what word's basis sunk, or, or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You see, God responds and, and answers Job's why question with a what, where question. He's like, like I'm not going to answer your why, but tell me where were you? And, and he, 77 questions, right? 77 questions that, that range from things like, you know, are you able to govern all of this stuff? Like, can you control all of the details? Do you have your mind wrapped around all the intricacies of creation? And, and so he lays out all of these questions. And here's what we see, all right? Here's what we see, because this is in light of Job wanting vindication and wanting explanation, all right? And, and this is the, the point that I think is so important to grasp from this conversation with God. When life is falling apart, our greatest need isn't vindication or explanation, but our greatest need is expanded gratification. Expanded gratification for who God is. He is good and powerful. He has his eye on every detail of this complex world and he deeply cares for us as the centerpiece of his creation. Well, then by chapter 42, um, we see this complete reversal. Uh, Job repents. He's like, God, I took this too far. I was in the wrong. And in that repentance, we, we see that Job is completely satisfied, which is weird because as you read the book, God never vindicates him and never gives him an explanation. Like his why question, goes unanswered. So how is he satisfied? He received what he most needed. He had a, a lowered perception of himself and an expanded perception of God. He had, he had um, greater gratification for God's goodness and God's care and God's power. And, and so what he got wasn't answers, but an encounter with the creator of the universe. You see, he encountered God's presence and God's nearness in a way that satisfied the deepest longings of his soul, even in his darkest hour. So he repents, and then what happens is God restores his fortunes. What we see at the end is that um, God blesses him and restores things to a beauty that's, that's far greater than anything Job could have originally imagined. And so some would say that that this is the first draft of the gospel. The first draft of the gospel, you see, it begins where things are good and right, right? Good and right for Job. But then because of sin, it creates disaster and there's a separation from experiencing God's nearness. But what happens? God steps in and he draws near to Job, just like Jesus steps in and draws near to us. And then God's goodness and kindness leads to repentance. And once there's that repentance, we see a replacement where darkness and, and evil and hardship is replaced with light and life. You see, that's told to us in Job, and it's fully seen in the life of Christ. So maybe you're wondering, like, why are we talking about this on Easter? Like, uh, do I really want to like, hear it? I'm telling you, because Friday was darkness, but today is hope. 
but I want hope to be against the backdrop of darkness so that hope is magnified in your life. I want the empty tomb to be on the backdrop of the cross so the empty tomb blows you away. All right, so, so before we move to John 20, all right, before we move to John 20, before we get to the hope, I want you to be honest for a second here, okay? In the midst of this pandemic, right, in the midst of what we're going through, what questions are you wrestling with? You see, in chapter 42 of Job, God approves of Job's wrestling. He's like, it's okay to bring your touch. Like, what questions are you wrestling with? Um, what areas of your life feel dark and hopeless right now? Where, where are you struggling to see God? Where are you going, like, I just don't see Jesus in this. All right, maybe these questions are personal for you. Maybe it's like, why is this happening to me? All right, when will normal come again? Um, why did I lose my job? Or am I about to lose my job? Will I have enough? Like, will I have enough for today? Will I have enough next month? What if this thing drags on? Am I gonna, am I gonna make it? Or maybe these questions that you're wrestling with are deeply theological. You know, maybe you're in a position where you're like, I'm actually okay in those other areas, but you find yourself going, but... If God is good and powerful, then why does he allow bad things to happen? Or if God could have created a world where none of this was even possible, then why did he even create a world with these possibilities? And, and you just find yourself, and I just want you to know, it's, it's okay. It's okay to, to come to God and to ask the hard questions. All right, but Job gives us three things. Three things. So I want, I want to talk about that, then I want to move on to the tomb, okay? So, so first... We see that God never minimizes suffering, right? He doesn't try to explain it away in scripture. Instead, we see that it's a very real part of life. So I just want you to hear that. Like God never minimizes suffering. It's almost not like if you suffer, but when. Two, um, it's okay to pour your heart out to God. The gospel, the message of Christ invites us to show emotional realism. We don't have to fake it like we're all good. Like things are great. Things are great, don't have anything, but I'm great. Like, no, like we can be real, like I'm hurting. This is hard, I'm struggling. Like it invites emotional realness, right? We can pour our hearts out. And then third, what we see is that God is never distant or disconnected from our pain. God is never distant or disconnected from our pain. And that brings us to the cross and the empty tomb. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to, to John 20. Uh, but the cross. You see, at the cross, we, we are reminded and we see that Jesus had stood under the full weight of sin and darkness. And he knows our pain on an intimate level. The cross shows us, it reminds us, Jesus has stood under the full weight of sin and darkness. And whatever we're going through... On the most intimate level, he comes by our side and says, I know it, I feel it too, and I'm with you. All right? But John 20, um, let's look at verse 1. Let's, let's just talk about the tomb for a second here. All right? So John 20, uh, verse 1, it says, Now on the first day of the week, right? This is a Sunday. Um, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. 
All right, and so Mary shows up and like the tomb is, the stone's rolled away and, and she's about to look in. She tells other disciples, they run up, they're like, what's happening? What's going on at the grave? And, and then let, let's pick up in, in verse six. It says, then Simon Peter came following and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus's head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For it's, yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And the disciples went back to their homes. And right, now let's, let's get to verse 11 real quick. It says, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. She, she, here's Mary. She's like, where is Jesus? Like, it's like here she's in one of the darkest moments of her life. And she's looking for the person that she's known and followed. And, and even in death, it's like he's gone. Where is he? Verse 12, it says, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now listen to this. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. He speaks her name. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She knows that it's Jesus. She's heard him call her name. She knows that he is alive. He's not missing, but he is risen. All right, and so here's what we see. I, I love this. If you think about it, like in, in the Jewish calendar, Sabbath was Saturday. That's the day they worshiped. And so that was the seventh day. That was a day of rest. Um, when does Jesus rise? Day eight. It's like the first day of new creation. And then in the first creation, um, you have Adam and Eve. And, and what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to cultivate the Garden of Eden, right? And so now what does she think Jesus is? At first, she's like, is he a gardener? Right? Like Jesus is the gardener over the first day of this new creation where he is stepping into the darkness, to the hopelessness, to the pain, and he is creating and making all things new. He's taking all things that were wrong and he's in the process of writing them and making them right again. Like this is, this is incredible that Jesus has risen. You see, here, here's what the tomb is. The empty tomb is our guarantee that Jesus takes graves and, and, and that, that, that grave, that's our, that's our, our heartache. That's our fear. That's our anxiety. That's our restlessness. That's our uncertainty. That's our concern. That's our confusion. That's our loneliness. Anything that you describe is like darkness and hard times. He takes graves and he turns them into gardens. You see, for those who believe in Jesus, 
that Jesus lived the perfect life we can never live, that he died the death that we deserve because of our sin, and that he rose again victoriously from the grave, we can boldly proclaim a truth that's in Romans 8.28 that says, for we know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. You see, God is gardening and working even in the hardest of times to shape and to make things beautiful and new. Uh, my daughter was having a, a hard time, a hard week, and uh, she was really struggling. And so um, I had this moment where I said, let's go up to your room, grab a piece of paper. And so she went and she got, got a piece of paper, cut it in half for me. So she just got me a, a beautiful piece of paper and, and I, I took some scissors and, uh, and I just kind of laid out what she's been dealing with. You know, so I was like, hey, you know, you have, you've had a hard week, right? She's like, yeah. And I was like, it sounds, it sounds like that's been really tough. She's like, it, yeah, it has been tough. Um, it sounds like you're pretty sad. She's like, I am. And so I said, you know, here's, here's what I want you to like, take, take your piece of paper. I was like, let's look at this. You know, um, it hurt when, um, when those kids made fun of the outfit you wore. She created her own little outfit and brought it to school, and some kids made fun of the dress she made. It's like, that, that hurt, didn't it, Ruthie? And, um, and I cut out and showed her that there's something was cut and it hurt and that, that hurts real. And then there was some drama. Um, some friends that, that she wanted to draw near to and sit with at lunch um, kind of created their own little group and didn't invite her in. I was like, hey, when those girls um, didn't sit with you um, and kind of kept you away, that was another thing that hurt, wasn't it? And, um, so we cut that out. And then um, she got injured. Like she, she, she hurt herself. And, and so I was like, you know, hey, you've got that scrape on you. And that's pretty painful, right? And so she's like, yeah. And so I said, you know, let's just, you know, it seems like you're feeling more cuts. And so we, we, we cut again. And then I was like, okay, Ruthie, um, I know that me and mom have been getting on to you a lot. And, and it seems like that's really weighing on you. And uh, we, we hate that, love. We don't want to get on to you, but I know that that hurts. And so that, that's something else that's, that's been cut, isn't it? So we kind of cut again. And, and all these cuts are real. All this, this hurt she feels is, is there. And so we, we just kept walking through her week and the tough things. And we kept just cutting and cutting cutting away and, and just identifying what she's been through and, and how it's real and how it hurts. And, and after cutting away, I said, but Ruthie, you see, what God's doing is for every cut and everything that he takes away, um, he's intentionally using it to shape you to be the beautiful daughter of God that he's created you to be. You see, in the same way, when we go through pain, it's real and it hurts, but, but Jesus is using it to shape us into a beautiful image that reflects his glory. You see, Easter is a message of hope. And our hope, you know, we're looking for it in so many places right now. It's like, man, if, like, so maybe for some, it's like, if I could just get my mind around the why question, um, but a lot of us are looking for hope in, in doctors. Um, a lot of us are looking for hope in, in our resilience. Like we're a people who pulled ourselves up before, we'll do it again. Like if we're together, we can, we're all in this together and we're, we're looking for that resilience. Some people are looking for hope in the government, what they can get 
um, whether that's financial assistance or, or something. Other people are looking for hope in pastors um, or family or friends. And, and so we're looking for hope and, and, all, and, and it's not wrong to lean on those things. But our ultimate hope, like I said, Easter is a message of hope. Our ultimate hope is found in the faithful presence of Christ. You see, our ultimate hope is not in the things of this world, but something that transcends this world. It's in Jesus, his life, death, and his resurrection, because his resurrection guarantees that he's not in the grave. It guarantees that he who rose from the grave has promised and is with us until the end of the age. And that's the message of Easter. And so if you're struggling right now, you see the empty tomb steps in and says, God's not distant. Jesus isn't missing. In fact, he's near. So we want to respond to that this morning. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and, and you've been following Christ, um, but you just feel like it's, it's, just, it's not where you want it to be. Maybe you feel like you've kind of slipped away for a bit. And like Mary, um, you just need to hear Jesus call your name. What would it be like for you this morning to know that Jesus is speaking your name right now? He is calling your name. Would you listen? Would you let him speak to your heart of hearts so that you can remind, be reminded, remember that, that he's with you and he's not gone? Because he wants you back and he wants you to experience his realness today. Or maybe you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus. And I want to invite you today to, to believe in him, right? You see, the gift of the gospel, the gift of eternal life is offered to you, but it's something that you have to receive. And I would love for you to find Jesus this morning, to believe that, that he is God, to believe that because of your sin, the things that you've done where you, where you said, God, I like my ways better than your ways, and because of that, you've been separated from him, that you deserve to be eternally separated from him. Um, he, it's not that you're that bad, at, you are, but it's that he's that good. He's that good that no imperfection can be in his presence. But Jesus came into history to make a way for you to be near again. So he stood in your place and, and, and took that death, that separation on himself, and he rose again from the grave to make a way for you to come near to God, to have eternal life. If that's you this morning, I want to invite you to say a prayer. Would you, would, you close, would you close your eyes and just repeat in your own words what I'm about to say. So if you've never trusted Jesus, would you just pray this? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you have crossed a line from eternal death to eternal life. And you are now my brother or you are my sister in Christ. Um, and we, wanna, we want you to be able to respond to that. Look, this is, a, is not something you're called to do on your own. Um, 
So uh, obviously it's hard to follow up when we're not in person. So right now, uh, there's a link to the side or in our worship guide. Um, that's just a way for us to hear from you. Um, we'd love to know, hey, that you crossed that line and we'd love to be able to follow up with you and help you take some next steps. But really that response is something I'd love for all of us to do. Um, seriously, take a moment and, and click on that and pull it up. Um, look, if you're saying like, I'm already a follower of Christ, but I'm here, I wanna know. If you chose Jesus for the first time today, let us pray for you, let us come alongside you. Maybe you're saying, hey, I still need time to process this and think through some stuff. That's perfectly fine. Um, we're here if you want someone to process that with. Or maybe you're saying like, hey, I, I, I never intend to make that decision. And look, I want to let you know, like, you're still welcome here. And uh, we'd still love to know where you are. Um, but also on the bottom end there, um, we're getting ready to build out kind of what we're going to preach through next. And we're going to do a couple of just topics before getting into a book of the Bible and and this is your chance to say, hey, it'd be really helpful if you preached on this. And so I'd love for everyone to take a chance to do that. Um, you can do that now or, or maybe just in a, in a few minutes. Um, but I also want us to respond uh, through communion, through what we call the Lord's Supper. Uh, in Luke uh, chapter, sorry, give me a second here. Sorry, I should have had a, should have had a marker in my Bible on this one. I believe it's Luke 22. Yeah, Luke 22. Ah, Jesus says this. It says, and he took bread. This is the night that he was betrayed. It says, and he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And, and so what he calls us to do is that for often as we eat this bread and drink this cup is, is to remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and to remember his presence in our life. And so I, I hope that if, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is a sacred meal. The, um, this is something that we do as followers. So if you're saying, like, hey, I'm, I'm, I haven't trusted in Jesus, just, hey, jump to that survey and, uh, and fill that out for us and let us know how we can be praying for you or if you have any questions. But if you're a follower of Christ, I mean, we want to remember that Jesus' body was given for us. Um, and so as, as you break that bread, here's what I want you to do. Remember that Jesus' body was given because of our sin. He had to stand in our place. And so what sins can you confess? Like when you think about just like the last few days, what sins led Jesus to the cross on your behalf? So take a moment and process that. And then as you hold the juice, the wine, whatever, whatever you've got. Remember that, that Jesus doesn't just forgive us. Uh, this is a new covenant. He brings us into a relationship with God. In his life, his perfect life is poured into our life, which means that when God sees us, all right, he sees us with the same love that he sees his son. So we are forgiven and we are restored into a right relationship with God. And so as you take this bread and drink this juice, proclaim the Lord's death and remember that he's coming again. 
And until that day comes, remember that he is with us and he's present in the midst of whatever you're dealing with. So let's take the bread and drink the juice. Before I close this out in prayer, um, I want to invite you, if, if you have any questions, if there's something you need prayer for, or if you just want to meet some of our staff, um, we're going to be in a Zoom call. Uh, there's a link to your side. We'll provide that and other outlets as well. But um, we'd love to meet you, to pray for you, um, and to know that, that, hey, you might be in a living room by yourself with your family, but you're not alone. Um, we're here. So let me pray for us. And then we'll, we'll have a little bit more time for worship. God, I thank you for all of those who trusted Jesus this morning. God, give them the strength um, to continue to follow you for the rest of their lives. God, don't let this news stay silent. Let them tell someone, whether it's in the comments right now, whether it's in the Zoom call, whether it's through a Connect card or, or, or whatever, God, just, whether it's telling their friends or their neighbors, God, let it. Let it be the best news of their life that they have hope, that they have life because of Jesus. God, for those who are turning back to you from a season of, of maybe running, God, help them to hold fast and to know that, that your love for them has never changed and that you love them just as much today as you ever have. Um, and that love is not because of them, but because of Jesus. And God, for those who are still questioning, God, we, we know that you invite the tough questions. So God, let them come to friends, um, to those in the church, but also to you and to feel okay with, with dropping bombs. Um, God, let them know that, that you invite us to pour our hearts out to you. And God, for those who are saying, like, I'm never going to cross that line, God, ask that you would um, draw them to yourself in a radical way where they'd be like, okay, I thought I wasn't, but uh, now I am. God, be with our church. Meet us in the darkness of this pandemic. And God, let the resurrection, let the empty tomb be our hope. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.